let's continue worshiping the Lord together by reading the scripture in Jeremiah uh, chapter 2. We'll read two verses and, and then this will be a morning you'll want to keep your Bible nearby. We'll look at a right good bit of scripture together. So Jeremiah chapter 2. And uh, Let's read verse 8 and then we'll also read verse 19 to help frame where we're going together. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 8, the priests, in other words, those whose responsibility was to represent God to the people, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. And then verse 19, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will approve, reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So this morning we are going to talk about the fear of the Lord, what that means. And just want to begin before we pray by, by asking you, when, when God diagnoses the generation Jeremiah is speaking to and says, the fear of me is not in you, what was he saying? What was not in them? Um, and then we want to allow God to speak to us and see whether the same may be true of us or not. So let's pray. Father, that resounds in my soul. Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's never transgressed. He's the only one that is sinless. And we hold to the promise that, that he will never leave us, never forsake us. He's made a way back to you, Father. So help us um, to understand from your perspective what the fear of the Lord is, whether or not it's something that we should ha have today as followers of Jesus, and then in humility allow you to Search us and know us, whether or not we are people who really do fear the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. Hey, if you've got a sermon insert, uh, you want to get that out, you'll see pretty quick that it's just a list of scriptures, right? So that's what we're going to do uh, together today. Um, I know that we're uh, kind of a generation that's uh, from our earliest days now, sort of uh, conditioned to be entertained. Maybe, maybe this is me confessing a little bit of fear that I have as a, as a teacher of God's Word. Uh, that My aim this morning is to edify you, not to entertain you, right? And I don't believe you came to be entertained. You want to be edified. And so, so we're going to look through the Scripture, the best way for us to understand what the fear of the Lord is and to understand what it means is to see sometimes in Scripture where it's clearly demonstrated, right? Does that make sense? I, I know it does. Uh, so if you want to, you can go on and find the table of contents in your Bible so that you can find these scriptures together as we, as we go through them. As I was preparing a, a memory that sort of exemplifies what we're talking about came to my mind years ago. Man, it must be 15, 16 years ago. Julie and I were downtown. We are in my truck, and we just um, uh, bought like a bed or something from a furniture store downtown. I honestly don't even remember what the piece of furniture was. I just know that we had loaded it up into our truck, 
and I started to back up, and the piece of furniture had created a kind of a difficulty in seeing, so I kept checking my mirrors. You know, I always want to be a safe driver, and as I began to creep back, someone just blared on the horn, and I thought initially it was me, and I looked down and said, that wasn't me. I put it in park, and I checked my mirrors again, and took a deep breath, and I began to slowly creep back, and again, just blares on the horn, and I look at Julie. I said, do you see anything? She said, I don't see anything. So one more time, I put it in reverse and began to creep back. And again, someone blares on the horn. And then something I didn't expect happened. My, my truck was surrounded by police officers. I said, what in the world is going on? So at that moment, I did what I should have done the first time I heard a horn. I got out of the truck and I walked to the back. And there sat a vehicle of Rocky Mount's finest behind my truck and I kept backing up and didn't see that this officer was there. And I don't know what they sent out over the radio. The entire police force responded to that call. She was sitting right in my blind spot, right? Right in my blind spot. Spiritually speaking, friends, we have some blind spots, right? I mean, none of us sees everything perfectly, and that's why we need the Scripture. I don't know that anybody in Jeremiah's generation would have stood up and said, We don't fear the Lord around here. That's why Jeremiah has come and said, The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. I mean, we've been at Jeremiah for a little while now, and you'll recall that he prophesied for 40 years, from about the 620s B.C. to the 580s. And most of the people he talked to in his own generation did not listen to him. They opted to listen to other preachers. I mean, Jeremiah was not the only one standing up and saying, Hey, over here, I've got a word from the Lord. He says in verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. So Jeremiah is preaching while other people simultaneously who also claim to represent God, but they don't handle the law of the Lord right. So here's a help for us. Not, not everybody who stands in front of people with the open Bible is telling you the truth, Right? I mean, this is a mighty weapon, but it can be misused, abused, misquoted, incorrectly taught. Uh, So in humility this morning, we do want to ask, where is the Lord, right? Where is the Lord? And talk about what the fear of the Lord really means. I mean, that might be the first question. As followers of Jesus, should we be people who fear the Lord? Or is that more of an Old Testament idea? I mean, you've probably been hurt. Uh, you've probably been told 365 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. So which is it? Or are they at odds? Is there a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear? How would you define the fear of the Lord? I already asked this, but one more time. There in chapter 2, verse 19, when, when God tells the people, the fear of me is not in you, What is he saying, and what does that mean? Well, we know from our study in Jeremiah, the people had not stopped going to services, right? I mean, they were still going to the temple. They were still offering. They were still singing. So they were still doing those things. What does it mean? I don't know if I'm very good at giving definitions, but I'm going to take a shot, right? If you're thinking about what does it mean to fear the Lord, I would say it this way, to see, know, believe, trust, obey, and love God as God, 
To know God for who He really is. To see God for who He really is. To know God rightly. Well, that's my little working definition. I know it might not have been the most helpful that you've ever heard in your life. So here's our plan. We're going to survey a series of uh, chapters in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord and uh, start in Exodus chapter 18. So turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 18. I'm going to go on and tell you we're not going to get through all of them just as the week went on. So our game plan is to do the Old Testament passages this morning and we'll do the New Testament passages next week. So Exodus 18. Moses is uh, leading the people out. They've, uh, they're, they're headed to the promised land and whew, things have gotten tough. So, so let's, let's read in verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. This is Exodus 18, 13. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, Why is this that you are doing? What, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So, not the main point, but let's just remember, man, if you're ever going it alone, you're not following the Lord, right? But Moses is trying. He's hearing all the problems and all the issues that everybody has. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You, you want a little bit of practical counsel? Sometimes you got to listen to your in-laws. Amen? Sometimes you got to listen to people who are older than you. Sometimes you got to listen to people who have been around longer than you have. You need to honor your elders, right? So, so all of us would do well to, to, uh, to listen to people who have some perspective of being around for a little while, right? You and the people with you, verse 18, will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Moses' trajectory is, what did, what did Jethro say? Not just that you're about to be exhausted, but everybody is too, right? Everybody, all the people are going to be exhausted. So now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. <laughs> you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Notice the first qualification. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. What's the first qualification? And if you want people to be able to handle problems well, what is it? People who fear the Lord. And, and notice what Jethro points out. If, if they do fear the Lord, what are they going to be? They're going to be trustworthy. I mean, you could understand this. you got two people, and they've got a dispute, and it, it might be something rather trivial, you know, over an ox or something. Not that ox are trivial, but you understand. Or, there might be something really serious. And they're going to come to somebody to help them resolve the dispute. How do you know that person can be trusted or hate a bribe? Somebody who fears the Lord, just the idea 
that someone would kind of pay them off so the decision would go their way would be anathema, right? Those are the ones who can be trusted to bring about justice, a just verdict. So when there is no fear of the Lord, y'all help me, there is no no justice. Decisions are made by convenience or on the basis of money or who gets paid off in the end. So what we can learn from this is the fear of God motivates our decisions. Amen? I mean, we're talking as practically as we can. Why do you do what you do, right? The fear of God motivates our decisions. Hey, we're not going to leave Moses. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy. So if you're in Exodus, pass by Leviticus, Numbers, and then come to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll pick up the pace a little bit. Deuteronomy 4. Now Moses is is doing what uh, Jethro said. He's representing the people to God, and now this is one of the last times he talks to them before his own life is over. He says, only take care, this is Deuteronomy 4, 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and they may teach their children also. The reason God made known his words to Israel was that they might learn what it means to fear him. It's also clearly implied in the passage, isn't it? We've got a bent. Our heart has an inclination to drift away from God. Didn't we just read that? That's why he has to say, take care. Keep your soul diligently. Friends, are you doing that? Are you keeping your soul diligently? Why do you have to be careful about that? Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. The first mark that the fear of God is fading from you is forgetfulness of who he is and what he has done. So keep your soul diligently. We don't, we don't naturally drift into holiness. We naturally drift away from it. Let's also see from this passage the responsibility of one generation to pass to the next a love for God responsibility. A phrase that we often use is the older generation edifies the younger, the younger generation energizes the older. We're in this together. We need multiple generations to pursue the Lord uh, together. So, So make the aim of your life helping the next generation fear the Lord. A fear of the Lord will also free you up from complaining. I will tell you that too, right? So, so, so man, if you just sit around complaining about the state of the world, if you fear the Lord, It'll burn in your soul to, to edify the, the next generation. Well, we're in Deuteronomy. I told you we're going to pick up the pace, and then I didn't, didn't I? All right, so Job, Job, let's turn to the book of Job, chapter 1. Job is a godly man, and I want you to see uh, one of the ways the Bible describes him. So we're in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God 
and turned away from evil. And then look in verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Do you know what that means? What people thought about Job, that's who he really was. Isn't that great? Who, Who people said he was, was blameless and upright. Now that doesn't mean he's sinless. What that means is the observable pattern of his life, he was blameless. He was upright. So so when I fear the Lord, I recognize he knows the real me. Notice this this morning. I love the creativity of our uh, church, and I love uh, that we are good stewards and reuse some things. And, uh, and, and, And this is on the other side. We use this at the fall festival, right? For the sake of our little children, please, this is the way I read it, please, no scary masks, right? That's a good sign to have at a church, because this is where we're tempted to wear a mask, even if you're not wearing a mask. You know what I mean? Like, we're all tempted to say, the fear of man will lead you to wear a mask. The fear of the Lord is you realize he really does know everything. What would, what would God say is your defining characteristic? Now, this would also teach us, so we're in the book of Job, the fear of the Lord does not mean life will be comfortable or absent of tremendous suffering. It's not a transaction. God, if I fear you, you'll make my life easy. If I fear you, then you'll uh, make my schedule predictable. There won't be any interruptions of sickness. Uh, My children won't suffer. That's actually the accusation Satan levels against God in the book of Job. God, sure, Job serves you, but the only reason Job serves you is because you're nice to him. You're good to him, and you've blessed him. Look, he's got all these children, sheep, camels, oxen take those blessings away and essentially the accuser is saying God no one would love you for you so that helps us understand that people who fear God recognize the greatest thing about God is not what he might give but rather the greatest thing about God is God it is who he is his character, his person, his, his presence. Yesterday I was um, on, on Facebook and one of my relatives posted a picture of, of our family from years ago. And I wasn't quite prepared to see my dad in a picture. And there he was. And I just saw it. And I could kind of remember the moment, right, uh, of somebody I love who I haven't seen or talked to in, man, 20 some odd years. And I sat and looked at him, and I could hear his laugh, and I could understand his mood on the basis of what the picture was. And, you know, the, what I miss most about my dad is my dad. Like, if he, were, if he were here today, with the perspective I have now, I don't think I would go up to him and say, can I have 20 bucks? I think I would say, do you have 20 minutes? Do you know what I mean? And the fear of the Lord is not what can God give me, it's actually who is he? I want to know him because I love him. Psalm 67. So you're in Job. It won't take you long to flip a couple of books over to the psalmist. Uh, 
What I'm trying to demonstrate is from every genre of Scripture, whether it's the books of the law, uh, whether it's uh, the wisdom literature, whether it's the prophets, we'll get to the gospels, the epistles, book of Revelation, it's all the way, all the way through. Psalm 67. Let's just take a moment and read the whole psalm. Psalm 67 is a short one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You see how it starts? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. You see, if someone fears the Lord, they know God judges equitably. So back to Exodus, if you're going to take that role in in earthly matters, you know I'm going to be like him. So I'm going to stand before him. So let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. What's the result of God's saving message going throughout the world? That the, that the ends of the earth will fear him. And then Psalm 103 is also a beautiful psalm. We, we, we don't have time for all of it. And so verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So notice what's known as parallelism. It's very hard for me to say, and I didn't say it right or well, but I'm not going to try it again. But in the psalm, how something's mentioned and then it's repeated in a different way, but they're synonymous. So verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what's the conclusion? The children of God and those who fear God are synonymous. The psalm teaches that those who've received mercy from God are those who fear him. So put another way, if I don't fear him, I don't belong to him. I think I've probably shared this with you before, but it's probably not something I should do, but man, I really love to. And when my children are up here, sometimes during the work week, and sometimes it's just us, and they'll be in the back, I plot and scheme to scare them. And man, I set a record about five years ago. Uh, I, I could hear them. And I could understand that I could sneak up on them and jump out. And so I crept and crept and bless Mary Clara. She was, she was just having the time of her life. I mean, she was laughing and Abel was with her. And then, and then he kind of walked back towards the kitchen. So she was just there by herself. She's kind of singing a song. And I jumped out and I, ah! I didn't know a human being could jump that high. I mean, she almost did a backflip and she's ah! scared, right? I scared her, I startled her, I frightened her. To fear God is not to be startled like that. A great picture of one who fears God is Isaiah in Isaiah 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he was completely undone. 
It says, woe is me. It means I have a deep abiding awe and reverence for him. It's, I respond to my creator the way that one who's created should. But we don't naturally fear God like that, do we? We don't. Why not? Well, just briefly reuse a illustration that has been helpful for, for my life. This is going to picture your heart, you know. If you've been with us before, this is an <laughs> illustration we've used in the past. And the heart, according to the Bible, is, uh, man, that's the real you. That's sort of the uh, seat of uh, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's where you make your decisions, is in the heart. And in everybody's heart, there's what we refer to as a king or a queen chair. And this is the person kind of calling the shots, making decisions, Saying, here's what our plan is. I, I think in the past when I've shared with you that, that I often sit here and I say to myself, I'd really love to lose. I've been trying to lose the same 15 pounds for about 15 years, y'all, right? So, so I sit here and I say, here's what we're going to do. And we make my, my tasks and here's how we're going to get it done. Now, every heart has a king or queen chair and a servant chair. So the king or queen, he says, I, I, here's what we're going to do. And then it's the responsibility of the servant to carry those things out. But, but here's why we're so weary and exhausted. Because the fall has corrupted not who we are on the outside, it's corrupted our hearts. I mean, who we are really on the inside. So in this dynamic, when I seek to live as king or queen, here's the tragedy, I still am occupying this chair too. Now this is the Brandon that's supposed to go to the gym and eat better. But guess what? Sometimes this Brandon just doesn't want to. I don't want to. So, so where discontent comes from in our lives is if you try to live this way, your king or queen and servant all at the same time, and one of you is always going to be miserable. Either angry and frustrated because you're not carrying out what I said, or... Weary and exhausted because I'm not carrying out what I said all the time. Now, here's a way that I think might be helpful for us to understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is when God in his grace has revealed to you, I don't belong there. Never did, never will. That's not the road to life. Now, to put all the things we've been talking about through the book of Jeremiah, what we're told over and over is by the world, or the flesh, and the devil is, you do belong there. That's actually what the fall was. The tempter comes along and speaks to their heart and says, you eat this, God knows your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You'll be able to call the shots. And friends, that's, that's what's wrecked and ruined the, the world. The fear of the Lord means I recognize I was so foolish to try and occupy the place of God. And look in Proverbs. You're in Psalm, the very next book, Proverbs chapter 1. Let's think about our heart illustration when we read this passage. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, it's a foolish person who says, nobody can tell me what to do. 
And notice he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the starting line. Without the presence of the fear of God, there is no true wisdom. Now, we live in a generation where, man, you can pop on any number of search engines and get a lot of information, but that doesn't produce wisdom. And all through the book of Proverbs, if you would read it from start to finish, you'd see that the fear of the Lord is a continual theme. We don't have time to look at all of them this morning, but I want you to see in the book of Ecclesiastes. So keep turning with me. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Solomon was not a man who kept his heart diligently, kept his soul diligently. He drifted away from the Lord, and he went after everything. You know, here's the interesting thing about Solomon is he had the means to do so, right? I mean, whatever it is that the world has to offer, Solomon went after it. But notice how the book ends. After Solomon had given himself over to all manner of sinful pursuits in order to find satisfaction, he says at the end of his book, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Friends, experience can only teach you what the Bible is teaching you on the front end. Experience can only teach you in the long run what the Bible is willing to say at the, at the front end. And we'll just do a couple more, more scriptures t- together. Isaiah chapter 11. Just keep turning, <laughs> turning left with me. Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Beautiful picture of the promise of Messiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. The defining characteristic of the promised one is that he'll fear the Lord. Now that's brought us back to Jeremiah. So y'all hang with me one more. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. This will be the last one we look at this morning. Jeremiah chapter 32. Verses 38 through 40. And they so will be, so promises being made, they will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You hear the echo from Jeremiah too. You've forsaken me. 
The fear of the Lord is not in you. Friends, the worst thing we can ever do is turn away from God. And when we fear the Lord, we're utterly convinced that's true. So on the basis of everything that we've read this morning, make a couple of conclusions. To not fear God is the same as to not know God. One of the most famous lines in American history comes from President Franklin Roosevelt when he was elected president in 1932. Do you probably know it? He stood up and said in the midst of the Depression and kind of scary days, he said, the only thing we have to fear is what? It's fear itself. Well, I would say to us, what we should most fear is the absence of fearing the Lord. Well, every time we open up the Bible, we want to Tie it to the person work of Jesus. So let's finish where we started in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 8 again. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not Prophet. Verse 9, we haven't read yet. Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. And then verse 19, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Now, we've read those verses, and here's what could happen, and it would be just. Because we've done these things, God could write us off. He's, he's an equitable judge, right? For, for you to sit in his chair is not a small thing. It's actually a really sinful thing. Now, in Jeremiah's day, the priests were assuring them that they had not forsaken God when they really had. So here's what that t- tells us. We need a better priest, don't we? We need a better priest. You ready for the good news? We have one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the priest that you can look to. And no, he never said, where is the Lord? You know where the Lord is? In that priest, high priest whose name is Jesus. That is the Lord. Here's our hope. When, when we forsook God, he did not forsake us. We have a high priest who not only did he handle the law appropriately... He's a shepherd who never transgressed against his father. He's everything that Jeremiah 2.8 says that their priests were not. When it says, those priests in that day went after things that do not profit, I want you to know that the Lord in Jesus Christ has gone after you. He's gone after you. So in humility, can, can I seek to represent the Lord better in verse 8 when it says the priest did not say, where is the Lord? I want to I ask the question, where is the Lord? And here's what I want to tell you. You look at the cross and there he is. It's where he is. It's who he is. Well, that's where he was. He's not, he's not there now, of course. And he's done something Amazing. In verse 19, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. 
You know what Isaiah says about the Messiah? The chastisement, same word, that brought us peace was upon him. So let's fear the Lord in this way. He's holy and just, and he hasn't responded to us saying, yeah, you blew it, no big deal, let's try again. No, no, no. To sit in his chair is a huge deal. But in humility, Christ has entered the world, and he's gone to Calvary to pay for what you and I did. He's the one who sits in this chair, but he came in the form of a servant. The only way back to God comes from God. Jerry Bridges, in in his book, The Joy of Fearing God, I love that title, says it this way. Nothing is so well fitted to put the fear of God into the heart as a clear view of the cross of Christ. It's there that shines spotless holiness, inflexible justice, incomprehensible wisdom, omnipotent power, holy love. None of these excellencies darken or eclipse the other, but every one of them rather gives a luster to the rest. They mingle their beams and shine with united eternal splendor. The just judge, the merciful father, the wise governor, nowhere does justice appear so awful, mercy so available, or wisdom so profound. If the fear of the Lord is awe and reverence for who he really is, nowhere more than the cross of Christ should that be our response to who he is. He's an amazing God. What is the fear of the Lord? It's to know him for who he really is. And as we've surveyed the scripture together, that affects our decisions, how we treat other people, what we hope in, what we look to. And to conclude by connecting it to John chapter 6, they were right that he is the king. But they didn't fear him. They sought to use him. The good news is he is the Passover lamb. He's the promised prophet that Moses talked about. He's the lamb of God. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together and respond to him uh, in in a couple of ways. Of course, in whatever way the Holy Spirit would lead you as we've looked at the scripture. But if you bow your heads with me and we did something really important today. We looked at a number of scriptures, and I would simply ask you, is there one that really stood out to you? Was it, was it in Exodus or Deuteronomy or Job or Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah? As we studied those scriptures, if something went on in your heart, man, that's important. Something grabbed your attention. That's what I want you to think about in these moments. Before the Lord... Who's running your life, sitting in the position of authority? What's motivating you, your desires, your thoughts, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your your expectations? Is it the holy God of the universe or something else? And the fear of the Lord is one of the greatest blessings you can have in your life. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have our invitation 
You want to seek the Lord in prayer here at the front, you're welcome to do that. If you've got a burden on your heart, your mind, you want someone to pray with you, it'd be my joy to do that. If you've never actually turned to God in repentance and faith, trusting Jesus to rescue you from your sins, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. Father, we cannot fabricate, reproduce, conjure up the fear of the Lord. We can't open up the Bible and see that it is something we desperately need. We need to see you for who you really are. And in a thousand ways in our lives, we've got blind spots. And I'm asking that your Holy Spirit now uses the Word of God to bring clarity to our souls. Lead our time as we respond together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.